Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Raffaello de Grotola, the filmmaker and star of Flim the Movie. That's me. Thanks for having me. It's very good. It's very good. Um, now, for the listener, I'm I'm um, I'm Leighton Base, which is in Wolfham Forest in East London, and we're speaking on. The, on the Sunday, the 3rd of May, which is a few days before an exclusive premiere of Flim the Movie at Stowe Film Lounge in Walthamstow, which is up the road from me. Yeah. Yeah. And, I've and never, I haven't actually seen that screening room, so I'm looking forward to it. But I had a chat with Nick, uh, <coughs> excuse me, who runs it, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that night because he's built something very interesting over there. No, without a shadow of a doubt, it's, it's one of the, one, you know, one of the. One of the brilliant trends that's happening with uh, the digitalization of cinema, that yeah. uh, a, a genuine independent cinema like that can, can evolve. Absolutely. Um, and uh, can I just say on that, it gives us as the filmmaker a, a sort of avenue to be able to deal with people directly and get our films shown, you know, out there very quickly. And that's what he's doing so well. Indeed, indeed. So let's tell the listener, what's this film about? <clears throat> well, the film is about... Uh, a Bollywood wannabe filmmaker who uh, is living in London, marries a local uh, Indian girl who was brought up in the UK, and uh, his ambitions are to make to make it in Hollywood. And so he is followed by an amateur documentary team who want to document this journey. And uh, by the end of the, the film, you realise that you're watching uh, footage from the documentary team that is being used against him in a criminal investigation about whether he's guilty or innocent in this film fraud and harassing actresses. And, 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 I, and I was just saying sort of uh, off microphone before that, uh, I'm talking to the listener now, <laughs> is that I, I, think, I, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that what, what, what's been achieved here does, does for filmmaking what, um, what Spinal Tap did for, um, for rock bands. I think it's a, a really, really biting satire. Of, oh, right to hear. Thank you. Of all the gears, bells, whistles, and thin air that uh, filmmakers. Well, that is on. an absolute testament to all the uh, cast that were involved in making this film from day one, and crew as well, and everyone that showed up to help. I mean, it was a. We didn't start out to make a feature film. 
um, it, we, I was in Bulgaria doing another film as an actor because that's what I mainly do. And we, uh, I've been playing around with the character Ravi for a few years in improvisation workshops. And uh, uh, actually, I think the first time he's on camera was in the behind-the-scenes footage of a film I did in Arizona. I started to go around pretending to be this wannabe filmmaker. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, one of the actors, I think it was Ian Virgo, I was working with Ian Virgo, uh, Stephen Waddington and Casey Barnfield, Michael Worth out in Bulgaria. Uh, he was like, let's shoot something, let's shoot something, what can we shoot? And we, we were thinking, I was thinking, well, this could be a time for Ravid to come out. And I said, you know, I've got this idea of this filmmaker, he's on set always, and he just basically thinks he knows it all. And they came up with their own characters and we built a little improv around it so some of it we couldn't use but then i came back and i cut that on iMovies and and uh, there's a helicopter here perfect um, perfect <laughs> they're after ravi and uh, <laughs> i put it out on youtube and it started getting a lot of hits and i was thinking how can i incorporate this into a larger narrative and um so on this on a basic level i thought well let's follow this guy from day one trying to make a film what happens i was bouncing ideas around and then I was watching uh, TV during the day and I saw this documentary by Errol Morris from the 70s called The Thin Blue Line. Mm. And it was so captivating and I think it got an Oscar yeah. because what he did by the end of it, he actually got one of the guys who was accused of murder, uh, excuse me, accused of murder released from death row because of this documentary. And I thought that is what we need to make underneath watching some sort of investigation take place and you feeling part of it. And so I tried to weave that into this story and and then I would shoot wherever I was in the world. So I went to LA to shoot a film and I got the local camera crew involved and we went out on sunset one night and went into a hotel, shot with a couple of local actors that were on the film and they came up with characters and and uh, I would say, right, what I need for this sequence is this, this and this so that that can work back in the UK then I bring the footage back with Charlie, the editor, and he's, he was absolutely brilliant in helping me weave this all together in the edit room and making sure it was as sharp as possible. So that's, that's how we got there, sort of, if that makes any sense. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it seems like the most insane route to make a feature film story, but it makes a lot of sense how it would come together. Um, yeah. Recently, I had on uh, uh, a, a, a guy, funny enough, did a, did a mockumentary himself called Savage Land, which was... Um, which is a horror horror film, and um, he, he he also sort of set about it evolved without a, a necessary without a script as it were. Yeah, setting out the narrative. It was like you described. It was where opportunities came around. It was it was exploit them, take advantage of them, and see. But obviously, like you say, you're you're working with people and. They're willing to be involved, aren't they? So you're saying this is what I need. But how did you have an idea? Because because the one thing that, that that you that you don't see in when you watch the whole film is any joins. You don't get a sense that you, you've kind of you know you've got square pegs in round hole. It feels like a very strong narrative, and I think you know that may be a lot to do with your your editing skills and stuff. But I mean that that went involved with it when you had everything together, but. But how, did, how much of a sense did you have of a, of a wider narrative? Well, I knew that I, because of our budget, which was basically zero at that time, I raised the money after for post-production, yeah. uh, uh, was that I, I, I knew there would be massive holes. That's why I came up with the interview 
the interviews, the retrospective interviews, because I knew that they could cover all the holes in the plot. For got you, got you. So I sat in a room one day, my wife was making pizzas for everyone, we invited everyone round, and I got them in the study, and we sat down and I said, right, talk about when you first met Ravi, talk, there's a criminal investigation going on, tell me what you feel about it, and they'd say, well, how do I feel? And then you say, for you, well, I'm not sure because he was a really nice guy and the other person would say, oh, he must be totally guilty. I knew it from the moment I met. And we didn't even quite know what the the criminal investigation was at that point, apart from I had the idea of this sort of tax scam. Because I'd heard about it on the news, blah, blah. And um, so that's how that I knew that would cover all our holes. And then I'd go away and then Charlie and I would put together what we had and, and, and say, all right, uh, definitely need him to be arrested at this point. I'm going to go and shoot that. Um, and that actually, that sequence was the only one that I actually sort of uh, semi-storyboarded myself, even though we didn't rehearse it. I just shot. Everything was basically, as far as I remember, shot in one shot in one take without rehearsal. And then if we had to fix it, we'd talk about what needed fixing and then redo it. But a lot of the stuff you see in the film is basically no rehearsal, one take, just everyone had notes of what to do. And uh, they were so, you know, they were professional actors, so they knew when to give and take. So, I mean, that's interesting then, because, because uh, how, is, is, for an actor, is that opportunity thrilling as much as anything else compared to the usual, right, here's your line, I want you to give me this emotion, or I want, you know... This line, you know, your your wife's just been killed and this is what you say next kind of thing. It's really fulfilling. There's so many ways, as you know, to make a film. Yeah. And so this way was really fulfilling for the actors. We didn't have to think about continuity. What was I doing with my arm then? There were two cameras as much as we could. Following, I, Basically, the direction was follow the action. Mm. Oh, this is what's going to happen. You follow us, run up there. If you feel something's going over there, turn it and we'll make it work. And, you know, because it's... Uh, a crew that can be seen in the film, it was fine if they crossed frame because they yeah, would yeah. be there. So they were given character names as well. And uh, there were basically, I wanted a world, create a world where there weren't, a, there weren't any mistakes when we were filming because it was all usable. Oh, that's out of focus. That's fine. Amateur documentary team. Um, you know, what, what do I do here? The, the, we could use it all and then I could fix it all up in the edit in terms of what I actually needed to show and what I didn't need to show. Um, but the main thing about this film was we, I think, we had such fun shooting it. The actors were really enjoying themselves. I mean, I've got a gag reel of about an hour and a half long. Uh, we laughed and laughed and, you know, and these are the, the interview scenes and, and and, so, and that's when we had to go back and retake sometimes because we were just laughing so much. Um, and so actors show up when they're having fun and they're enjoying themselves and they're actually getting something out of it creatively because at that point I had no currency to exchange. And so I said, if we ever do get to a point of making a feature, we're going to we're going to uh, make a, a hundred points and it's going to be split amongst everybody as fairly as possible. And And that's what we did in the end. Now you 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 the, the film showed at Raindance was it last year? Yeah, end of last year. And it was nominated for uh, was it nominated the Biffers as well? Yes, we got a nomination. Yeah, so that was all fun. I couldn't believe it. For our budget, we were invited to go to the Biffers, um, and all these big films were there. I I can't imagine any film being as uh, cheaply made as ours. So you know, it was a real sort of uh, moment seeing it up there after the imitation game 
and <laughs> remembering we just got in a room with a few friends and two cameras and had this concept that we had to cover. And, um, yeah, so that was a really good uh, moment for us. I mean, I wasn't at the Biff. So what? So your <laughs> imitation game was, was in the well, same we were, lot? Certainly weren't in the same category, but uh, we, were, we had a, the Rain Dance Award. So there was about, well, I think each category's got a four or five nominations and the film uh, one was actually a really great film in our in our category uh but i've since found out it was about six hundred fifty thousand pound movie whereas ours was was about thirty five thousand in the end but you've got the steve waddington crossover haven't you between the two films in the that's right the there you go. yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a class in, in in pitching it perfectly that that character of the documentary filmmaker. And we talked a lot, me and Steve, and throw some ideas, we threw ideas around, and basically it was like, you know, cross between Broomfield and um, Louis Theroux. Just think about that kind of, he's, he's, he's asking them questions to get out what he needs. Yeah, because, I mean, he's, he does a really good job because your character of Ravi is very much larger than life. And I think if Steve's character the documentary filmmaker would have been fighting for jockeying for position in the story. It would have, yeah. it would have detracted, but actually he's just there just to lift you up, isn't he? Yeah. But actually I, I, well that he's just, he, he really handles it as a filmmaker and as a, as a filmmaker would behave, he'd be like, look at this interesting eccentric yeah, yeah. character. Let me follow him. Cause that's what the audience want to see. And but, so, but, but, but I was thinking more in terms of like, as a comedy double act, he's yeah. playing your straight man, isn't he? As much as anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I think everyone else, everyone else coming to it was the, the note was, you know, I really want to feel like the, the audience might say, "Jesus, I can't work out if it's real or not," because Ravi's a lunatic. But are these are these real characters? Is he is he is he fake and they're real? What's going on here? But actually, everyone's you know performing. No, no, no I mean that's the, the convincing thing, and I mean, much like when I, the, the film I mentioned before, Savage Land is. That when you might go into it thinking or not even knowing that it's not it's 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 fictional, but actually at the end of it, the the it feels so genuine and and so and it doesn't feel staged whatsoever. Really? Um, yeah. No, no, seriously, it never felt. That's why I say it, it, to sit to sort of almost to not see the joins, but actually just see a story evolve. Is you feel like you want you know that could have been a Louis throw you know episode in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So your character Ravi, then? Do you know you, want, you? You said he's somebody you were developing in workshops. Where was that born then? Before before the film, as it was. Well, the guy who plays Giles Messersmith in mm. the accountant. Yeah. Uh, um, he said he first saw Ravi around the year two thousand in our improv workshop. So I remember watching Imran Khan have an interview, and I thought, oh, that's, I just love that accent. And I started to play around with it, and then I brought it in into the improv, and then I started to. Uh, mix him in with all the uh, experiences I'd seen on set, working as an actor of various different directors and how they handle situations. And um, it really, a lot of the time, it does feel like there's the director and the crew, and here we are, the actors, and the actors always seem to get on. And then there's a bridge made between them and the director. And obviously, what we're all aiming for as filmmakers is how do you close that gap, and and you all become part of the same uh, thinking so that there's a big level of trust and you can get on with the work. But it always felt like over the years there was, you know, there's them and here's us, the actors. And and so 
I was able to observe and and I used those uh, experiences and brought them into Ravi, you know. And what I love about Ravi is that he just absolutely believes he can do it. And I think that is one of the things that we all need in this game is that self-belief to an extent, which is not sort of uh, insulting to others. And then once you've got that, then you can people seem to come on board if they like what you're doing. And that's what Ravi's got, I think. No, no. I mean, I think, again, I think that's one of the one of the great qualities of of the movie is that it, it, none of it's none of, none of the satire in it is is sort of cruel or pointed or going ha ha. You know, it, it genuinely it genuinely is like a, a, a cute observations. I mean, when, I, I, again, I was talking to you off, um, off before we started, but I think that it's 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 the hope that takes a lot of films forward for you know two or three certainly UK independent films. Two or yeah. three, four years of a film's development is a lot of hope might be carrying it along, you know. You know, those films that aren't queued up under BFI or BBC films, you know, the ones that, that, that are orbiting all that other activity. Yeah. They're, they're fueled by hope, just like a football fan is fueled <laughs> by ambitions for his team, you know. It's uh... Well, you definitely need that with everything, don't you? I mean you need faith. You need faith, you need to carry on. Hmm. That was my commitment is I remember saying, I'm going to make a feature. I don't know what it is yet, but when I do, I'm going to finish it. That's the main thing. And the first thing I thought, said to myself is, I don't want to get caught up talking about it in a coffee shop in Soho for five years. I want to pick a camera up and shoot a scene. Mm. That was my thing. I don't want to get caught up in bureaucracy or paperwork or getting the script perfect. I thought, I'm going to fight against that just as we do in an improvised workshop. You just get up there, you do it. And all of a sudden, something starts to develop. And that's the, the method we used, was the Harold improvisation method, which was a uh, you see the characters develop right in front of you, and then you can figure out what to use to help your plot move along. So that was the key, was not getting caught up in getting a perfect storyline or script. Think of the plot, go out and shoot it, and actually some of it I didn't use because I thought it's unnecessary and actually and we don't need it. So... We need to shoot something else. But going out there these days with uh, with a camera and, a, and uh, an SD card is what does it take? Nothing. No, no, no. And I think you know what what helped me was having a good couple of actors involved that people uh, recognise their work. You know, Camille Kadori, God bless her, always shows up for my stuff, my short film. My wife Simone uh, Labib. Um, and, uh, you know, they shot Chris, uh, Christopher Forford, who played the first AD that you said, you know, these people showing up brings credibility to it. So really it is, it's about everyone who is involved. Now, just, just for, for, um, for the budding actors that might be listening to this, I mean, you've mentioned a lot about, about your improvisation workshop, which I guess is something that you do to keep up your acting chops, I guess, it's an, or, yeah. or, and, and to meet other actors and so on and so forth. Exactly. But what, what, would you, what would you say to those those actors out there that aren't necessarily, who aren't maybe going down that road. I mean, what's the benefit of, of improvisation workshops to, to an actor? To, for me, I don't know what it is for them, but for me, it's, uh, you know, feeling like you're doing it and, uh, feeling oiled, feeling like you can handle anything that's thrown at you when you're, when you're actually working. So, uh, the more I improvise, the more comfortable I feel within the character when I'm, when I'm given the text. So I know I feel more comfortable because I've explored the character and that's what you get a chance to do in improv. And, uh, you know, also being around people that are in the same boat as you because it's a, it is a tough profession. Uh, 
it's difficult to get work all the time or, you know, at all. And it's about keeping the hope and the faith. And, and where do you find that? You find that with, uh, as, as a builder would, by constantly going out and, and building things. You've got to keep it up. You've actually got to keep doing it. And then you feel comfortable with that. And then who knows what will develop from that, you know? I mean, my main uh, exercise is we, we bring a scene to the, the workshop and I'll give a scene out and they'll read it and I'll say, all right, let's read that and, and ask what it means to them. And I go, great, should we do it again? They go, okay. And I actually pull the script away and say, improvise what you think the scene's all about, but respect one another. So they've got the context of the framework, yeah, but they yeah. don't get held down by the lines on the paper. Yeah, okay, okay. Because I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm not an actor, but I've done some extra work. And when they when they auditioned us, they made us do improvised things, which for someone who's not a trained actor in any way, shape, or form, yeah, it's a bit like asking me to jump in a fire. I had no idea what the logic was for me. Right, right. And how did you handle that? Well, I, I just did it. But it was, but essentially, you say respect each other because I think the the obvious thing for me to do when 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 confronted with that was to be confrontational. You know, just just be. I'll disagree with what you're going to say. That means it's dramatic. Where obviously that's not character, is it? That's just being disagreeable. Well, I saw that in a movie the other day, a film that was talked about being improvised, and every scene looked like an improvised scene to me, not like a, a real a realistic scene, because mm. they both went into conflict. Yeah, and that that looks like it's set up to me. No, exactly. Well, also, but but then you see. I think it's you also see this on the page, and certainly when you, when, certainly in my experience, when you when you're doing first drafts and stuff of, of screenplays, you you tend to sort of dial everything up to eleven because you think you're being dramatic. It's only when you read it as a whole you go right. This is where we need to dial it down a bit now. Right. This is where we need to, you know, you this all right, fine. This bit's good to be loud and shouty, but this bit needs to be, you know, we we as humans develop tactics, don't we, when we're, when we're talking to someone. If, you, if we want something, if I want you to go away and I shout at you and you don't go away, then shouting at you again doesn't make you go away anymore. Right, right. You know, yeah, that, I mean, way. you have more experience with that as a screenwriter. I mean, I, I, the, the only time I wrote before was for my half-an-hour drama, which was The Other Side of My Sleep, and, and that was fully written. I uh, co-wrote that with someone, and then I sort of rewrote scenes the night before we shot, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting take on it, actually. So let's let's rewind the clock a second. Let's get a bit. Uh, what, what's your what 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 if any formal training have you got in terms of acting or filmmaking? Was you did you go to any? Uh, well, school? I went to Sylvia Young Theatre School when I was a kid. Okay, and then I gave it up. Um, but I still, I would say that that there was a core of truth taught within that school, which doesn't doesn't leave any of the pupils, which was how to be truthful connect with truth so that was the one thing as a child that you took with you i left the business after that yeah. uh traveled the states did other jobs uh, i actually worked as a builder and then a bartender blah blah and then i came back from the states and uh didn't know what to do um and they had this thing called pcr i i remember writing off for a couple of jobs thinking i was justified to because i've been still very young and um and then i got a play in the west end uh through right. a friend. Um, and uh, actually before that I did go to Lee Strasberg I, I wanted to in, sort of uh, investigate a little bit more and I ended up going to Lee Strasberg Theatre School in London for a while and then uh, another trip to the States then back and that's when I started applying for work and I, th I think the moment you get something 
and you feel confident and you and you're able that's when things start to change a bit. Uh but yeah, that was my training basically was that Sylvia Young, then Lee Strasberg and then learning on the job. What do you what do you think uh the what have been the benefits for you of that um of formal training? I mean you you mentioned this phrase about the truth. I mean I don't know if I as someone who's not an actor, I don't know if I particularly understand that. Can you if you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Well, for me, I think there's so many techniques and methods taught okay. uh, to actors. So you really, it's what, what appeals to them and firstly, what appeals to them and then secondly, what the audience believe. For, for me, acting is about make-believe. That's, uh, it's, it's, do the audience believe what they're seeing or do they think they're seeing an actor performing? So mm. those are the two narratives that I look at. And so I try to go, right, how do I make this absolutely real and obviously, you know, safe? Um, and uh, that, that's my method. So I would say any training is excellent because it gives you a chance to do it and mm. talk about it with other people and, and investigate what suits you. But... Uh, um, yeah, I think, um, it was interesting. I was actually in, in, in the States a couple of months ago and I ended up going up to John Saxon's house with a friend of mine who's a director as well, Michael Worth. Do you know John Saxon? He played the villain in Enter the Dragon and he's done tons and tons of TV. Okay, 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 yeah, yeah. And he was, he did a film with Marlon Brando actually and he's, <laughs> he'd walk in the room and he tells this story. He goes, Hey, Marlon, what about if I walk in, I'll, I'll go on this side of the table, and then I'll think about that, and then you walk in, and then we can look at each other, and then take it from there. What do you think? And Marlon goes, yeah, whatever, man, I don't give a shit. <laughs> so, so that was Marlon Brando's technique, which obviously was well disguised, because obviously the man really cared about the work, because you can see it, but... Uh, it's just the way actors approach things. It's so different. It was a brilliant story. No, no, totally, totally. Now, go yeah. back, go back to your character, Ravi. Then, yeah. um, I mean, the the term, the, the 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 flipping of the word film to flim is is comic genius in some senses. It's it it constantly reminds us of the deluded state that Ravi's in. In some senses, yeah. Absolutely. That's a really good way uh, to put it and observe it. I mean, I think I was just playing around with the character. And every time I said Flim, it, it sounded like F-L-I-M. So I started to say, well, that could work. Actually, in the, in the Flim, I, I didn't do always say Flim. I said Flim. So it started to develop its own title in a way, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I'd always check in with my uh, my sort of Indian friend actors and say, is that okay to do that? And I go, oh, yeah, great, let's carry on with that. And they ended up being in the movie. And um, do, you, do you remember the, the Ravi's ex-girlfriend? Yeah. Interview. I actually just met her through a friend in L.A. She's, she's an American actress. Right. Uh, brilliant. And we had a chat and I said, I, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to be able to use it because I've got so much footage, but you'd be brilliant as Ravi's ex-girlfriend. And we talked about it and I said, I'll, I'll come... She actually got the camera through her brother. I went to her apartment the next day, <clears throat> said, right, let's pretend we're in Bollywood and you're talking about, where is Ravi? I want my part because he always promised me. And it worked so well in the whole film. We used it and she, I thought she was excellent. Where did the life coach idea come from? Because I guess that's the curveball in, in, in the film. Um, two things. One, Cammy always brings great stuff to the table. And the other is 
I remember a film director, and of course I've forgotten his name now, but he directed American History X. Okay, the um, Tony K. Him. And I went to see a Q&A with him once. Uh, I think it was at the Curzon. And he started talking about going to a meeting in, in L.A. at the studios, and he said... I just wanted them to know I was coming from an honest place, so I brought a priest and a rabbi with me. <laughs> and I just burst out laughing. I was like, that is utter brilliant. I'm go- you get- Rabbi's got to have a life coach. <laughs> and we would always build on that. You know, I'd say something. She goes, oh, how about this? And, and yeah, so, yeah, it was great. No, because, I mean, I think, I think because obviously the, the, the life coach is the... Uh, is is a kind of modern day kind of snakeskin sale oil, oil snakeskin oil salesperson I think at the moment. You know that's, that, the that's idea, the whole self actualization industry. Yeah, um, and also the fact that they change all the time because they don't never really know. I presume they don't really know all that, and that was the whole thing about the star sign that just worked so well. No, it's quite but it's quite brilliant to show to show um, the kind of cluelessness of what it is. You're a Libra, no, I'm a Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> Don't trust him, he's a Gemini. Brilliant. <laughs> My favourite line, if I've got one, is is when you're in LA with Ravi. Yeah. And he says, thank you for inviting me to Hollywood. I'm really beginning to see how it works. And he couldn't be at that point any more clueless than, he, than he'd had been at the start. It's a wonderful moment where he's sort of putting two and two together and making 75, I think. I, I didn't know how the LA sequence was going to slot into the film. Because really? I, 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 in the end, Charlie and I, we figured it out and said it's about the beginning of the breakdown of his family back home mm. whilst seeing what real Hollywood's all about. Now, whenever I've been out there, it's, you know, you first go out and you think, wow, this is going to be amazing, streets are paved with gold, all that rubbish. And it's, it's an, there's a lot of people there waiting for a dream. And I wanted to, I wanted Ravi to see that. And that's what those characters were all about in the hotel and the motel room. Yes. And, uh, you know, so I thought, and people were like, God, that is so surreal. It's, it's surreal. And I'm thinking, I, at one point I was thinking, well, I need to cut 10 minutes out of the film. So maybe I'll just take that sequence out. And, uh, but, but in the end, I think it really is a sort of, uh, interesting, uh, perspective on the other side of Hollywood. But, but also in, in your LA sequence, you get, you, you touch on a, you, you I don't know if it's on purpose or accidental, but you touch on a kind of a human side of Ravi that we don't get elsewhere. Because when he's talking to uh, Stephen Munro, and oh. Munro and Munro describes his film, he, he kind of obviously t- he forget he completely omits to believe it's a film and just understands what he's been told and just goes, yeah. "Well, that's disgusting, isn't it?" <laughs> you know, it's one. It's a wonderful moment. Yeah, yeah. Again, that was another bit that I didn't know when we were going to use that uh, because it was Stephen Monroe's film that we were working on in Bulgaria when I first started playing around with Ravi. Okay. Stuff where I'm actually on set with Stephen Monroe in that film, and uh, but I couldn't use it because it was really it was it was shot through an iPhone. It was really bad, and it, and the context didn't work. But um, yeah, it uh, that that's the bit uh, where you get all those types of characters in, in Hollywood thinking that they, they know how to direct and, and they don't. But he handled that so well, Stephen Monroe, that interview with Ravi. Brilliantly pitched. I guess as well, because I guess if you've worked with him, he knew you and you're saying, look, just be yourself and I'll be Ravi. Yeah. 
Well, that also he was he was kind of himself, but everybody who sort of played themselves in the film, like Sadie Frost, Jane March, I mean they were they were playing in a way alternate, um, alternate realities of themselves. You know, yeah. they had their names, but it was what the audience they played what the audience wanted to see, mm-hmm. not really what they were were in real life. You know, that's a, that's, a bit a bit like um, Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan in the trip, isn't it? Exactly. That, that kind of heightened heightened media view of everybody. That Johnny Depp interview when he goes to meet Ricky Gervais in, uh, what was it? Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, in, in, in the, uh, with the, uh, oh God, with, um, with the short guy, that one. Yes, yeah. And he goes in, he's, play, he's, he's playing Johnny Depp, but he's not really Johnny Depp that we, you know. So no, that, and, and Liam Neeson when he does the, the AIDS scene on the, in the same interview room. Exactly. <laughs> all of that stuff, and that's what that's what uh, Jane March and Sadie Frost were brilliant at. Sort of, uh, I mean, I think Sadie Frost's sequence is hysterical, and she she really played that well. No, no, she did. She did. It was uh, it was it was it was very funny. Um, it was kind of it was um, it it was it was just letting it go, really. I suppose you know, letting it all happen. Yeah, we and, talked about what the kind of direction for it to go in, and then her mum came, and I said, you know, why don't you let let's play the as if your mum's the devil on your shoulder, and and she's sort of guiding you towards the dark side, and you and she and Sadie's more sort of yoga driven, and and so we played on that a lot, and and Ravi's dream of being part of the Primrose Hill film mafia. No, I, love like, I love that expression. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I really one of the other characters I like is actually played by my wife, where she plays the casting director. Oh yeah, 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 and um, and I, I love the bit that her arc is really interesting. That by the end of it, she just can't take it anymore. She wants to act, and she goes to drama school. <laughs> no, those, those, those the the, ep- the epilogue to the movie is really interesting. Uh, yeah, when she said, I've, "I've signed up for drama school," <laughs> yeah. but, but also partly through she goes, there was a party. Why was I invited? <laughs> that was uh, yeah. Yeah, that was some um, interesting editing. She was talking about the part in, in in actual when we shot it. She was talking about the party we had on the roof. Ah, okay, okay. Slotted that into the Sadie Frost party to make that sequence work. Good lad, good lad. Now, look, it'd be remiss we've not we've not mentioned any release dates yet. We've mentioned it's showing at Stoke. So it's it, it, if I get this out on time, which will be the day before, it's the Stoke Film Lounge. So yeah. that'll be well, this will be out. That's Friday the eighth of May, isn't it? Uh, the film, the Stowe Film Lounge is, is it not the is it the eighth or the twelfth? Sorry, let's have a look here. I think it's the eighth. Is it the eighth? Okay, so that's the eighth. Uh, the Art House Cinema and Crouch ended the first screening there, and now Stowe Lounge are doing that. And Soho House in the United States, the industry is really taking it on, and they're doing a, a an opening night on June the fifth, I believe, in L.A., New York, Chicago, in Miami, and all their clubs for members and, and invites. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, what else have we got? So basically, June 8th is our video on demand release date on iTunes, Amazon, uh, Sony, and Google. And uh, hopefully, Netflix will follow. And we're doing Rain Dance video on demand as well, which is worldwide. That's really good. And I'm also going to go on uh, Vimeo on demand because I think that's got a really interesting and growing uh, audience. And, and I, guess, I guess with Vimeo on demand, it gives. Gives you the filmmaker a little bit more of a yeah, help. and I'm a real supporter of that side because all the stuff I've seen on it is is excellent. The shorts are brilliant, and uh, the community that's building around it, a bit like Stowe Film Lounge, is a really interesting group of people uh, and an audience. You know, so 
you want to support it as well. And I think the platform looks fantastic, as does the Raindance one, you know. So, and it also, it's teaching us as filmmakers that there is a way to self-distribute if you can market it properly. No, no, I mean, I I covered um, the Portobello Portobello Film Festival um, a couple of years ago, and there was a lad there doing a premiere of a movie that he'd shot around Hackney, and I think it cost about £10,000 to um to produce yeah um, i guess just costs and, and it was an account for people's time but um but he was saying that you know i mean it was like about 200 people i guess watching it in a, in a converted archway in port you know the railway arches <laughs> big screen up and stuff i don't know if you've been to that festival it's a wonderful no, experience it's yeah. uh it's one of the archways near portable near, wow. near market and it's a cinema it's got a big screen up and yeah it's, it's wonderful. But he was saying, he was saying, you know, if, you know, imagine like, I don't know if you remember, like the record shops used to be like the chain with no name. So all the independent record shops were actually linked together, even though they weren't our price or Virgin oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you had a network of still film lounges and Portobello Road cinemas up and down the country that were genuinely independent, then that would be a route for people to dis- self-distribute their films and recoup a bit of money. Wow. That, that you wouldn't, that you don't see when you're trying to recoup a film I mean, I know there's a local filmmaker just just shown um, his movie Tea and Sangria at the Empire in Walthamstow. Yeah. And, you know, he's lost money to show that film in the Empire. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, which, 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 which you know, the, the people outside of filmmaking will will think, it's shown at the Empire, he's hit the big time. But in right. fact, it's, yeah. it's part of, you know, part of the journey of trying to promote your movie. Yeah, well, I think it's a great idea, and also I think what one thing we need with that though is is some sort of committee to go. We will show this film because otherwise, if you if films are being shown just because a film was made, and it's not good, the reputation of the whole product goes down. Mm. So it has to be like Nick who goes, "I like something in this film. I'm going to show it for this reason," or he was talking to me about this political reason uh, that he showed the last film he did. About the coal miners and all that, and and I've, and so there's it, there's an interesting sub, substance behind it. It works, but it, it, it I don't think it can ever work if it's like well done for finishing your film. Haven't seen it, but I'm going to screen it. Oh, without a doubt, no. I think I think the the the, the flip side of that anyone can get themselves a HD camera and start shooting. Yeah. is that we end up with a lot of product that, that has no relationship to cinema. And exactly. the one thing you want with films is something you can show to a group of people. To have a shared experience, which is the beauty of cinema. Exactly. It is. And also, uh, just t- touching on that and going back slightly, is um, social media for small independent films is incredible. I didn't realise how powerful it was. I mean, I was I started uh, the journey on Twitter and, and the Facebook page for the film, and then by the time I'd shot it, I'd, I'd put out a, a tweet and Facebook remark saying, I think I might have to go for uh, group funding to raise post funds, and then I got a message straight away from Twitter saying, would you be interested in one investor? And I said, well, absolutely, yeah. And an American lady from L.A., uh, gave us $10,000 to finish the film. Wow. Just from a Twitter, and, and I became friends with her and um, and went out when I was in L.A. We sat down, and she's sadly passed since this happened, But and, and, and you know, I tribute the film to her courage. Um, and then from there, one of the actresses in the film, Colette Cooper, who's, uh, who's, who's also a producer, she 
used that and went to someone she knew and said, look, this film's building momentum. We need a little bit more. And then she was able to introduce me to the guy who gave us the next 10,000 to finish it. Um, I mean, we're literally down to a couple of hundred quid now, but uh, so it builds momentum and, um, and everyone gets involved if they like it. And so that, that all started on social media, which was amazing. What was, I mean, just out of interest, because we've, 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 I've had on a company called Social Placement who, who are kind of social media experts and have worked on film campaigns yeah. um, and, and, and can advise filmmakers at the beginning on, on how, to, um, how, to, how to get the best from social media for their movie. What was your sort of lesson learned in, in sort of using social media to help promote and publicise? Um, my lessons were releasing viral clips, the trailer early, Okay. Uh, each character, I, I, um, we shot the interview scenes. I picked a segment that I would, without showing Ravi, that I would release online with the actor. Uh, and, and then that would gain its own hits. Now I think we've got like 52,000 hits on our YouTube page because of it. Okay. And um, so basically bringing them on as part of the filmmaking journey. I learned that through... Uh, um, a, a writer-director called Danny Lacey, who I'd, I'd worked as an actor for, and he sh he was doing that all the time. So I thought, well, what a fantastic idea. So if you've got the content and you've got social media and you start getting a following, not just because of yourself, but maybe because of the other people involved, it builds momentum and you never know what you uh, can get when you put it out there, you know? Indeed, indeed. Now, um, one of the things I like to ask people, and I used to give it as homework, so you'll be allowed to pause for breath here, because this is the only <laughs> bit that's not about your film, um, okay. is to give to recommend me a British movie. Now, that can either be a classic that's lost to the annals of time, or a more recent movie that, that, that didn't get enough attention that you, you'd like to cast a light on. Yeah. Do you want me to say one now? Yeah, 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 yeah. If, you want, uh, if one comes to mind, it's right away. Please the do. one that just came to mind quickly was uh, was it the Selfish Giant? What yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was absolutely excellent. Um, what did you like about the Selfish Giant? Just loved the the performances, the world that she built, the way it was shot, it was truthful, um, and the story. You know, it's always down to the story, and then the truthful performances that, that uh, brings me in. I just thought that was amazing. Um, I'm sure there's many in my brain, obviously, that don't come out when you need them. I only asked for one, so you give me one. That's, that's, that'll, that'll, that'll do for me, sir. Right. Um, uh, and is there a... Well, I guess, I guess, although you didn't make the film in a traditional way, um, still, still there'll be... The, in terms of putting the film together, there must be maybe two or three sort of lessons learnt that you... you that you, you'll take forward into future films. Is there anything yeah. that springs to mind? Yeah, I'm going to start with Money in the Pot this time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and why is that? <laughs> because it's, it's, it's hard work. I mean, <clears throat> I kept saying to myself, you know, this is the hardest. If you can't get an actor when you've got money, then something's wrong. So if you can get an actor when you haven't got money, then something's right. Now moving on to that step, I would like to get you because of the sort of success of the film, try to get some investment first. I've got a couple of ideas, um, a, a film that I wrote that I'd like to fund, and also I'm working possibly with Lee Borgman on something else, and there's a few things going on. Okay, um, okay. 
but uh, yeah, I think it's it's much nicer. I mean, you can only struggle for so long, you know. And I wanted to. I was obviously investing my own money in that as well. I mean, I spent quite a few thousand myself, but it's fine. I call the film my spare time. That's what I should call it. What I did in my spare time over four years, because that's life as an actor for me, anyway. Yeah. So uh, that's fine. But it'd be nice to, you know, go the right. If you've got a pot of money, it means you can actually schedule it. Whereas when the way I did it was I shoot one day, figure the script out, shoot another day in two weeks' time because I'll need to shoot that, get my credit card out, pay for that, get the guys in. You know, the crew came for, for nothing or a few quid here and there. But everyone's been sort of looked after in the end in terms of the way we structured the deal for the film now. So, you know, I feel everything's... That's really important is the transparency of how you make it and making sure everyone's on board that. Okay, um, seems like sound advice. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, so um, let's remind ourselves what what's the tell us what screenings you've got on the release date again. Remind us. Okay, so this Friday, Friday coming, Friday at the eighth of May, lunch in Walthamstow. Um, then uh, I, there may be another one at the Art House Cinema in Crouch End. Uh, there's some private screenings coming up, but then the video on demand release date is June the 8th. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're in the United States, then there's screening in Soho House, New York, LA, Chicago, and Miami, if you can get into one of those, or possibly the Hospital Club in London as well. The Grouch Show very nicely did a screening for us. Um, but June the 8th, video on demand is the... Uh, uh, release date and that's on Raindance VOD uh, iTunes Amazon Google Sony and leading up to Netflix as far as I know and what's, what's the uh, what's the Twitter addresses uh, people can follow you on uh, that's me at Raf Degretola it's that okay. it's really, really easily spelled obviously ok well we'll put I'll put that in with the podcast and, oh. and uh, I'll, uh, I'll uh, email you for some web addresses and stuff and I'll put all right. those in yeah, and uh, and sort of Ravi's words would be just go out there and make your film if that's what you want to do because it's it's possible. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. 
Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.